how are you doing this week? Uh, are you as happy as you were last week? Just been sort of riding on a sort of Ryan Giggs football cloud. It's been absolutely brilliant, hasn't it? The the weight has thoroughly, totally and utterly lifted and the Moyes era is starting to feel like a bad dream that never happened. It is, yeah. I'm, I, I think I said last week, in 20 years' time, we'll look back and think, what was that? That's a bit weird. Immediately, everyone felt relief around Old Trafford and especially the players. And uh, amazing the amount of brown nosing that's been coming out about Ryan Giggs ever since. Anders Lindegaard in his uh, Betfair blog said that Ryan Giggs is the new Guardiola uh, and that uh, it was spine-tinglingly good, his pre-match speech, and it was Alex Ferguson all in. Uh, Wayne Rooney said that uh, he's got all the credentials to be manager. Uh, the class of 92 or the 1992 committee, as Reddish, she puts it, uh, been lining up to try and position gigs into the job full time. It's interesting the politics that are going on right now. Ed Woodward flying around the world on his slow boat, sounding out all the managers where he's got a perfectly good manager at home, apparently. My favourite bit of hilarious, ridiculous spin this week was unquestionably Paul Hayward's column in the Telegraph for the weekend. Uh, On the way back from the Norwich game, uh, I was having a chat with the person I went with and saying, I wonder what Fergie's going to do. It was my old boss that I went with and he said whatever he's going to do, he's going to claim it was not his fault. And then Paul Haywood basically writes this incredibly revisionist article about how basically Fergie never really chose Moyes. And anyway, even if he did, it was a completely reasonable choice. And there's this line in it saying, nobody's asked me to write this. It's like, yes, Paul, we all definitely believe you that no one's asked you to write it. Yes, Fergie's mouthpiece. And then uh, Bob Cass was also tweeting about it the same day. And you're thinking, uh, I think he was tweeting about getting gigs of the job. Thinking he's got Bob Cass and Paul Haywood on the job. This is vintage Alex Ferguson, isn't it? Well, it's funny, you can line up. I mean, there's some very, very good journalists that that cover United and some not so good ones. But uh, you, you can line up those who are briefed by whom can't you? And Fergie has cast and Hayward in his back pocket and has done for some time. Uh, Woo Wah's favourite journalist is uh, seemingly Mark Ogden, who's a very, very good journalist, uh, writing for the Tory Graph, uh, and is on the ball when it comes to United, but uh, does seem to get the odd call from the uh, executive team at United, doesn't he? Yeah, Ian Ladyman seems to be getting a call or two from that same executive team. And it does sort of worry me slightly that it's the the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph that he considers to be the appropriate organs to brief. Well, of of course he does. And uh, Disco McDowell's still getting the team sheet, it seems. (laughs) Yes, but not from Rio. That's the the key thing. So talking of the team sheet, what a first 11. What was the word you used, Ed? I think it was meh. Yeah, it was a bit meh, wasn't it? It was a bit meh. I was there. Although, you know, it was interesting because we did speculate uh, what would happen to Marianne Fellaini. No need to speculate about him anymore, is there? He's been consigned to the dustbin of history. Will we see him again in a United shirt or will United just take a massive loss in the summer? Good question. That one. Giggs binned him, not even on the bench. Uh, Giggs claimed that he'd had a sleepless night picking that one. I'm not sure I believe that one. I think that was just good politics from Giggs to say that. Uh, Dropped matter to the bench, but then brought him on and uh, transformed United's performance, I thought. Some of it was just a bit disappointing. No Yanazai, no matter. Uh, Kagawa in a very left-sided role in a, what was a straight-up 4-4-2. I don't know whether that told us much about Ryan Giggs's. Uh, mindset. I think whatever side he had put out against Norwich was going to win with some ease. 
There was a, a few interesting things. One, of course, Rio Ferdinand played. Cleverly, very interesting selection. Just, and we'll get into the performance, but by heck, did Tom Cleverly have a bad game. I actually think that much as like watching Juan Mata play football has this season swiftly become one of my very favourite things to do in the whole world. I actually think him being left out, Moyes would never have picked Welbeck ahead of Juan Mata. And yet in doing that, Giggs put out a side which was well balanced, you know, and was functional and effective and actually sort of sacrificing star power for putting square pegs in square holes made made a huge difference to the way we played. And I mean, yeah, Kagawa played on the left wing, but he was fantastic to watch in that game. Like Almost every time he had the ball, something exciting felt like it was just on the verge of happening. There was some really fantastic flicks and little passes and seeing things that other people wouldn't have seen and trying things that other people wouldn't try. And it didn't all come off, but it was absolutely electrifying to watch i thought yeah although given the position he was in the team and he he was quite wide a lot of it i don't think there was much end product and that's the problem when you play him wide left anyway i mean i don't think we need to get into another analysis of shinji kagawa we're never going to get the best out of kagawa in that kind of wide left rigid 442 and it pretty much was a straight up 442 which is per- i think perfectly fine it was perfectly sensible balanced side for Giggs's first game I mean the, the thing we haven't learned about is whether there's any subtlety in Giggs's approach you know it's um, if Ferguson had picked that team you wouldn't have been surprised would you it felt like a Fergie team all over uh, and uh, does that tell anything about us anything about Giggs and his suitability for the job long term you know I don't I don't know that's the thing there's such a, a vacuum around what Giggs stands for as a coach uh, that um, it's very hard to take any of that game and extrapolate that to the future yeah I mean one thing I think that was noticeable was that he really made a difference within the course of the 90 minutes like his team talk apparently at half time was focused on tempo and then you know its tempo was dramatically increased to excellent effect in the second half and all his substitutions were really effective I mean he brought on Mata for Welbeck as he said and and Giggs described Mata's performance as a masterclass and last week on the Radio 5 live panel show fighting talk Jim White who's a journalist who certainly knows his way around Manchester United talking of good United related journalists uh, yep yeah no no doubting uh, White's credentials at all no and and he's a fan as well and he said that he'd been really underwhelmed by Juan Mata this season and that also apparently the class of 92 were not overly enamoured with White Mata this was before the starting 11 was picked I mean it seems really odd to me to describe Mata's season as underwhelming. I mean, not great in the biggest games by any means, but given how absolutely abject United have been, other than that, I mean, certainly in, in a lot of games against smaller sides, he's absolutely run the show. And and Masterclass was the right word to use because he came on and God, he set the place on fire uh, in the game against Norwich. He did. Look, on the wider point about uh, Matter's impact, I think for £37.5 million, you want him to be running the show. And the, the problem is, of course, he came into the side and, and Moyes put him wide left, wide right. And it was really only when Van Persie and Rooney were injured that he got a chance to play in the middle. And then the, the performances were upped and he scored a few goals. And uh, I think that's the thing. When you pay that much money for a player, you want more out of him. So I think his performances have been underwhelming in the context 
of of paying a club record fee to bring a player in um, in the middle of the season and uh, a player that we would all love to be world-class and making the impact at the highest level. So I think that's fine. I haven't got any independent confirmation that the class of 92 uh, don't think he's any good. Uh, so um, we'll see on that one. I, I think his uh, performance when he came on against Norwich was positive, bright, got into the right position, scored a couple of goals as a result, you know, and uh, that's all good. But it does kind of depend on what formation that Giggs wants to play and what formation the next guy wants to play. Uh, we we haven't half put ourselves in a difficult position with some acquisitions in recent times when we've bought some players who are not that flexible and very specialist players and then asked them to play in different positions and, and as a result we're not getting the best out of them. Shinji Kagawa has played on the left more times than he's played through the middle. He's definitely a specialist through there. He can play on the left but you're not getting the full whack. Uh, same with Mata. I think if he's not playing behind a, a main striker or a main stri- two strikers then you're not getting the best out of him. Marin Fellaini clearly not a defensive midfielder, and Mark Wilmot's the Belgian manager, having a moan about that today. And uh, what kind of what do you expect if you pay huge money for these very talented players, um, but the specialist players, and you don't play them in their position, you're not going to get the full amount. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it is problematic, and it's one of the reasons why the Edinson Cavani transfer rumours, which will not go away, I mean, I guess because it makes good copy, but... That is a transfer we can absolutely live without, isn't it, in terms of the balance of the squad? Well, look, he's he's been disappointed in Paris because... Disappointed, or disappointing in Paris because he's been playing in one of those wide positions. Zlatan has got the number nine role. They play a 4-3-3. So Lavezzi and Cavani, who made a very effective pair at Napoli, are now uh, playing in wide positions, which is pretty unfamiliar to them. And Cavani especially, he's just not a wide player and uh, he's much much better through the middle where he's got an excellent scoring record so if United want to go spunk 60 million pounds on Cavani he's got to play through the middle uh, and then you play some of the the talented playmakers around him that's the formation uh, and if they're going to do that then it means one of Van Persie or Rooney have to go or will be sitting on the bench or potentially both of them yeah absolutely and if Louis van Gaal is going to manage us Robin Van Persie isn't going anywhere right that's uh, Wayne Rooney apparently according to the papers today. What was it? Concerned and frightened or anxious and confused or underwhelmed? Yeah, it's always, it's always a double emotion. Yeah, right. Ryan Giggs is uh, disappointed and... Um, surprised. Surprised I. and disappointed that he's not being considered for the job. I don't know why he's surprised. It's a weird one. It might I have just made that up, so it might not have been the quote anyway. Um, but yeah, so Rooney apparently nervous about what the implications of Van Hal coming in. I did think that the, the move to drop matter was interesting in terms of this balance between star power and, and all the other stuff. And then when he came on, he really made the big difference. And being in the Stretford end when Ryan Giggs walked out on the pitch is as good a moment as I can ever remember as a United fan. I mean, Giggs sort of talked about feeling 10 foot tall and just that it was his best moment ever walking out of the tunnel at Old Trafford. And as soon as he walked out, there was there was just such a sense of relief around the place. Like, I mean, David Moyes sent this really obsequious and horrible text message to Andy Mitten saying, I want to thank the real fans who are behind me. And like nobody at Old Trafford that day could have said that the fans were really 
like oh no we were so behind david moyes and we're all gutted he's gone you know because it was it was an enormous relief and within two minutes of kickoff there's this chant of attack 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 and that chant that it tells you everything you need to know about how united fans felt about david moyes right yeah absolutely absolutely they they were respectful of david moyes but uh, they weren't fully in support of him and and they certainly support the club, and I think they were two different things, and, and Moyes has conflated those two things together. But yeah, I was a bit confused about that one. Are true fans the same as Ferguson's real fans? Or No, Ferguson had the true fans, and Moyes has got the real fans. Or was it the other way around? No, no, definitely real fans from Moisey. Uh, yeah, so it was true fans from Ferguson. Yeah. Confused about this one, Paul. What 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 is a true or a real fan? I think it's someone who either supports David Moyes or supports Alex Ferguson, depending on if you ask which one of them. Ah, yes. You see, this is it. This is... This is this is the best way of denying criticism. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? It doesn't exist because you're not no. real. <laughs> It's a fundamentally existential point, right? If you weren't, if you didn't support David Moyes, not only were you not a real fan, you just weren't real. You were just a figment of the press's imagination or something. Well, Moyes is now a figment of everyone's imagination. <laughs> he went on holiday to Florida. It's a remarkably ironic holiday destination. I think he's like driving up to the Glazers' house late at night, crying, "Have me back, have me back." Yes, he was in Miami. Maybe he's applying for the job there with Beck's new franchise. Not quite sure that Brand Beckham and Brand Moyes are a natural fit. Yeah, very true. Well, so uh, there you go. Ryan Keeks' first game as a manager and, and United came out with a thumping victory. It could only be that, couldn't it? Norwich have been very, very poor in recent weeks. United relieved. The pressure lifted, the gloom lifted, the nervousness lifted. Although it took 40 minutes or so for United to really kick into gear, didn't it? I thought Norwich were quite neat for the first sort of 40 minutes or so. They clearly um, not really pressuring United and uh, there wasn't really any doubt about who was going to win, but the goals didn't come. Uh, there wasn't loads of fluency from United and and it was really only in the second half uh, where the end product actually counted. Yeah, there was definitely a bit of anxiety when it started to be like, wait a minute, are we not going to get the narrative we all desperately need here of, of United restored to some sort of glory? One of the reasons that the play was really breaking down and there was a problem with fluency was definitely poor old T-Clevs. I, I, I really like good use of football data. I'm I'm not an, an anti-stats person. I, I really enjoy uh, a good kind of use of statistics to kind of show something that you might otherwise have missed or all this kind of thing. But if you ever need a good clear-cut example of why you can't just conflate one data point with a good performance... The 94% pass completion that Tom Cleverley had in that game was absolutely it because I kind of looked at that stat after the game expecting it to be about 60% or something. It felt like he gave the ball away every time he had it but really what happened was he gave the ball to someone who couldn't keep the ball because of the position they were in. You know, he picked the wrong pass time and again his one attempt at a shot was, I think it hit the corner flag, you know, he just, he had an absolute good old-fashioned mare and... When he when he was subbed off, there was a kind of ironic cheer around the ground, uh, which kind of sort of morphed into applause. You know, as people are like, "Oh, we don't we don't do that here," you know. Uh, but it was uh, it was unfortunate. Yes, it was, and and yes, his performance was very bad. Uh, Redishu once described Mike Phelan as as passing the ball like it was a hot potato, and I think cleverly did the same thing. He's a man with very little confidence. Not a surprise, really. Uh, given the season he's had, he's had a very, very poor season. He's going to miss out on the World Cup, isn't he? 
as a result, he's not progressed. And that, that's part of the disappointment, I think, of United fans and, and everyone else with Cleverly in that. He had that great season at Wigan Athletic where he scored a few goals and played as, you know, looked like he was progressing into becoming a, an attacking midfielder. Uh, he had a good few games of uh, of the seasons three years ago now with Anderson in central midfield. And we thought, haha, this is, you know, it's the next Paul's goals. And, and his passing's always been very neat and uh, safe. And that's the problem, I think, as he's matured, he's got even safer. So he, he rarely, rarely makes a lot of progressive passes. He doesn't get ahead of the ball. Um, apparently, some of that was the on instruction of David Moyes. But uh, he'd stopped doing that anyway. And he's, he feels like he's gone backwards as a result. So therefore, he's he's not an effective footballer going forward. He doesn't help United's play and pass in the play. He doesn't help control the game. And he's complete lightweight defensively. And to the point that he's actually a liability at times. So yeah, very poor performance. I'm not sure what where he goes from here. Because if I was a big name European manager about to take the role at Old Trafford, I might be thinking of him as a, as a good option for boosting my transfer budget. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a link with Roberto Martinez's Everton and that that's a link that makes a huge amount of sense, isn't it? He's I think he would be pretty good in that setup and very high possession, recycle the ball. He wants to play for a ticky-tacker side, really, and... He would be perfectly good at that because he, he can do that job. He's not a terrible footballer. He's just really, really lost his way at United and it can happen, you know. And it it, it sort mm. of gets, um, it gets, I'm going to use the word conflated again, uh, but it gets conflated with being terrible. But actually, mm. it's just that he's not fantastic and his confidence is shot. And that's a really bad combination. Mm. Well, uh, the narrative of his season has been a negative one, that's for sure. And, and uh, as it has been for, for many of United's players. Wayne Rooney, whose season has been up and down. I, I think there's been quite a long period during the middle of the season where he wasn't very good. Uh, he was still garnering good headlines. But he scored the goal that opened the, the floodgates, I suppose. The penalty from... Um, Darren, 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 Danny Welbeck's uh, tumble in the box. You mean where he was brutally hatcheted down by the Norwich defender? Yes, yes. I was looking for the brutal tackle. I was struggling to find it. It was a little soft. Um, He was pulled back. um, Although, I have to say, if you yank someone back, they don't normally go forwards. Only on the football pitch. So, yeah, a little bit soft. Danny Welbeck has a very different relationship with the physics of falling down to other people. So, you know, it might genuinely have been that he was falling that way. I thought he had a good game, incidentally, although nobody will be surprised to hear me say that. He had an all right game. Yeah, he uh, he played a little ahead of Wayne Rooney, sort of United's number nine. We'll see whether he does in the games to come. Robbie Rand Percy is fit again. <laughs> In the world's least surprising turn of events ever. I know, the Moisitis has cleared up very quickly. <laughs> amazing, amazing stuff, wasn't it? You know, not not a surprise at all. Uh, I thought Valencia was actually pretty good, very direct uh, against Norwich and, uh, you know, not, not brilliant by any means. Uh, you know, I, I struggle again with Valencia to work out where he goes from here. I think he's got to go. I think he's, unless he's happy to be a real what's the word peripheral member of the squad he's got to go because he was all right but he talk about lack of end product it's just it's at a chronic stage with him his range of options once he gets into the good positions he gets into are so limited and it's such a percentage thing isn't it because there's no 
there's there's just no guarantee of accuracy whatsoever no none and uh interesting because if it, if it is van hal he does like very wide players but he also likes basically wide players with in product uh, and I, I don't think he's going to be looking for his two wide men so he'll have a, a main forward two wide men and three through the center of midfield and, and those three will be a defensive player a box-to-box player and an attacking player and that's the way he pretty much always sets up. You can try and work out who's going to play in each position, but he's going to have uh, you know, two very attacking wide players. Think more like the Barcelona attacking wide players who sit wide of Messi, although I don't think Van Gaal is going to be playing with a false nine per se. In that system, you don't really see where Valencia is going to play because he just won't score enough goals in order to get on the pitch. Uh, the same could be said of Ashley Young, of course, and probably Nani too, although he's... He's got the bigger output of all of them, if he ever plays. He's barely played in two years. So lots and lots of questions, of course. So anyway, look, uh, do we have much more to say on the Norwich game? In the end, in the end, it was uh, it was it was good from United, wasn't it? The last half hour was was very positive. Yeah, I mean, uh, I interrupted you making a point about Wayne Rooney, which I suspect you were going to make a point about how Wayne Rooney wasn't very good in that game, apart from his goals. Well, he scored two of them. He did, but um, <laughs> and, and that was about it. I mean, I think I did tweet some uh, offensive things about Wayne Rooney, including one saying the biggest con in football is Wayne Rooney being paid like an elite footballer at which point he scored and I got a ton of abusive comments it's inevitable <laughs> the whole point about that is of course you know a couple of goals in one game uh, don't prove otherwise I, you know I I if I was Wayne Rooney I would be nervous he he um he found a ridiculous amount of security under Moyes and uh, you know we've we've gone over Moyes pandering to him uh, incessantly in the new contract but but it's hard to see you know if a rational manager comes in and it has a clean slate and he's not judging people on reputation but on performance. He's not United's best number nine. And he's not United's best number ten. And he's not United's best wide player. Um, he might be one of United's better central midfielders. But if United are going to spunk a load of money on central midfield, he won't be one of United's best mid- central midfielders anymore. So, you know, what is it that he offers? It's a really good, important question. Um, I guess when we talk about who's going to get the job in a minute. We'll have a, a chat about Ryan Giggs's press performance and how impressive it's been. Well, one of the things that was just really heartening was he was asked a question about whether whether players owed the club a performance, given they've been pretty average this season, whether some players owed the club a performance. And he said, well, basically everyone does. I think only David De Gea has been at their own best level this season. And it was just so nice that he didn't say David De Gea and Wayne Rooney because Wayne Rooney just hasn't been anywhere near his best level this season and yet we kept being told week after week that he was. And, you know, he did score a very lovely goal against Norwich, but he also did the thing he always does, made the play break down, made the wrong choice, did the wrong putt, you know. He was He's he's a problematic player at the moment, isn't he? Yes, uh, and... Um... At risk of being accused of having an agenda, I I have a problem with him because of the way he's behaved as a Manchester United player. That aside, uh, getting that out of the way, I have a problem with him because I don't think he's at the very highest level anymore. I think his physical decline has set in and it's having an impact on the rest of his game. I mean, his first touch has been horrendous for a few years now. And... The the output is good, you know. He's scored goals and he's got a lot of assists this season, so it's hard to argue with that part. But it's it doesn't feel like the performances are very good. And in fact, actually, if you look at the last few seasons, 
that's a comment you could make about you know three of the last four seasons of Wayne Rooney. So when you think about it in the bigger picture, it's then hard to think about Rooney really being this super, you know, vitally important cog in United's machine. I think if we had a really brave manager, he might think that there's quite some profit to be made out of Rooney, or at least some revenue to be made out of Rooney, and it might actually benefit the side. Um, in in you know, in terms of refreshing the side, if he was no longer at the club, if you were being rational about it, and and I caveated that by saying, of course, it sounds like I have an agenda, but I think if you're trying to be objective. It's just really hard to argue that he's really important to United anymore. Yeah, and the, you know, to just just to put the case for the defence, just for the sake of balance, really, because basically I do essentially totally agree with you, and I kind of share some of that same agenda, although it's not a it's not a malicious agenda. It's just the consequence of what he's done and said and all that stuff. But the other side is he he does have this genuinely astonishing work rate and. You know, Roy Keane always says like praising a footballer for work rate is is an insult because all footballers should have phenomenal work rates, but they don't. So that does count for something. He he has scored a reasonable number of goals this season, and I think if you played him as number nine or nineteen in in thirty eight games across all yeah. competitions, so I mean it's yeah. a good output. It's yeah, you know, it's one in two. And 15 assists as well. So that's that's good. Those are good numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of undeniable. But if we keep him, please, we just have to play him as a number nine. Because anywhere else he causes real problems. I mean, yeah, you could maybe play him in midfield as if you're playing that 4-3-3 and he's the most attacking midfielder of the bunch. But he's just going to be positionally all over the place if he's asked to do that, isn't he? Mm, he Talk is. about players getting in each other's zones. And and you'd expect United to be more dynamic uh, using Mata or Kagawa then. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly so it's um and and uh, i think if you look at matter's numbers last season and kigao's numbers when he was at borussia dortmund they'd be putting up very similar numbers you know 20 goals 15 assists over the course of the season uh, so it, it's um it's challenging times for Rooney, i think depending on who comes in because of course if it's not van hal and we don't think it'll be gigs unless uh, everyone else turns united down if it was simeone who plays basically with a dime in, in midfield and two up front, then Rooney's okay. You know, he he will be one of those players. If it's uh, Antonio Conti, who plays a three at the back, five across midfield and two up front, Rooney's probably okay. It'd be interesting to see three at the back in the Premier League. Doesn't happen very often, does it? If it was Ancelotti, well, Ancelotti, could you tell me what system he normally plays? He's probably the most pragmatic manager in European football, but manages to create something good out of that pragmatism most of the time. And I think that's a commentary on, you know, what a smart manager he is. So, you know, there are scenarios in which Wayne Rooney would remain important. I think the one where it's hard to see him remaining important is with Van Gaal because he's not the best number nine at United. Van Persie, when he's fit, when he's dynamic, and he hasn't been for a lot of this season, is a is just a better number nine. And then Rooney's on the bench. Yep, absolutely, and he's not going to be happy. And also, there's a commercial problem there, isn't there? Maybe not a commercial problem, but a financial problem because you're investing this absolutely enormous amount of money into someone who isn't meeting the output you would expect of an employee of that kind of money. If you're, he is really wasted on the bench, you know, because um, for all Rooney's faults, like he shouldn't be 
on any bench anywhere. He should be in a first team somewhere being used to the best of his abilities. Like, if Chelsea had bought him this season, if they'd managed to buy him back in last summer, I'm sure Rooney would have got 30 goals this season. Maybe not Shaw's a bit strong, but let's say 25 goals or whatever. He'd have played at number nine, and that's exactly where Chelsea needed the player. They'd have set up to feed him and to get the best out of him. He wouldn't have had to come deep all the time. He'd have got a load of goals, you know, and... uh, uh, for sure, because they'd have built a team around him and Chelsea would have probably won the league. That sounds like a load of praise for Wayne Rooney, but, you know, they'd be playing him in his best position. He's a good number nine, uh, but I, I do worry about when his pace drops uh, and it already looks like it is. And I think it will drop quite rapidly over the next three years. But this season, in that Chelsea side, in that setup, he would have been a very good forward for them. And, and Jose knew that. Uh, and United kept Rooney away from Chelsea uh, and probably cost them the league as a result. And maybe gifted it to Liverpool, but <laughs> that's a conversation for another time. See, we said really should have gone. It'd have been, everyone would have been up here. But yeah, okay, so let's have a conversation about the next manager then. Uh, we talked at some length about the, the various options in last week's podcast, and thank you for everyone that's given us nice feedback on the show. It was much appreciated. Louis van Gaal has been the talk of the town ever since. He is currently the best price you can get is one to four on for Louis van Gaal. Uh, And the the next favourite, well, he's such an overwhelming favourite, the next person in in the odds is Ryan Giggs. It looks to me like all the other options have gone, really. Klopp remains committed to Dortmund, although he said that he hadn't turned down the United job because United hadn't offered it to him. But that was in the midst of, you know paragraphs and paragraphs about how he wanted to stay at Dortmund. Ancelotti has clearly just played himself into the job for another season. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. That happened last night. Real Madrid absolutely stuffing Bayern Munich. I don't think Bayern are going to pull the plug on Pep straight away. Are you sure? Ring, 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 ring. Uh, <laughs> hi, is that Pep? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's Ed Woodward here. Yeah. Fancy job, mate. <laughs> would, you, would you want Pep? Why wouldn't you? I don't know, because... Bayern Munich lost yesterday? Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, there's some remarkable revisionism going on uh, amongst uh, some of the nation's favourite pundits, isn't there? Uh, so, look, I, I, I don't see this in the kind of absolute terms that everyone else seems to. I don't, I don't think this is the death of Tiki Taka. I think it's a very good test for Guardiola because he's one of the, the managers that has a very strong philosophy about how his team should play and what it should produce as a result. Uh, Arsene Wenger does too, and he's... He's uh, failed, hasn't he, over the last 10 years? Guardiola has picked up a ton of trophies. There's an argument that says that uh, the way his teams play has been found out somehow. I mean, no one in the, the Bundesliga could find them out. And, and for the most part of the European campaign, no one could either. They performed very, very badly against Real Madrid and very, very badly. And you can extrapolate one very poor performance and say that means that uh, the way Pep Guardiola's teams are fundamentally flawed in some way, where they play. I'm not sure that's true, you know, and I actually think there's there are many ways to win a football match. Uh, I think for the most part, his teams play a very good attacking form of football. Yes, it's based on keeping the ball and possession, and that's a, a defensive tactic as well as an attacking one. There are times when, when they're not dynamic, Bayern, that they look pretty boring and there were times towards the end of his time with Barcelona when that happened too especially actually under Villanova but you know Barca at its very best 
uh, was a great attacking side. They produced some brilliant football, brilliant attacking football, scored over 100 goals in the in La Liga three years in a row. But of course there are question marks over Guardiola now because his side has just been smashed in the Champions League. So is there a reason why you wouldn't want him? Uh, I think everyone would have said yes last season. Are there question marks about Guardiola because they just lost heavily in the Champions League semi-final? Most definitely, but I'm not sure that I'd extrapolate one loss uh, to some kind of fundamental flaw in the system. No, absolutely. I mean, he was also up against Real Madrid, who are a side that have basically been built in an image to defeat him. You know, that this this Real Madrid side has been built in opposition to Pep's Barcelona side. And and so what you've got now is that that Madrid side possibly reaching its peak or certainly close to it versus Pep having moved across to Bayern and, and Bayern being nowhere near presumably the peak that they'll hit under Pep, you know. Um, you'd expect Bayern to be even better next season, I, I, I would imagine. Well, especially that Lewandowski will be joining, and that's going to give them some penetration. Yeah. So, so the the bit where they're they're most sort of antiseptic, you know, Bayern is where uh, they pass the ball side to side in front of a team, uh, and then try and compress the play by pushing their their back four very very high up, and then they get hit on the, hit on the break and. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like they're causing much damage and they they end up shooting from long range or they don't shoot at all um, and they're vulnerable because of that high line to very direct play. Yeah, and when you're up against Bale and Ronaldo, that's really bad news, isn't it? Yeah, not just Bale and Ronaldo, Modric, I thought, who's yeah. brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant and controlled those breaks and the transition from defence to attack was lightning quick all the time and... And that's what caused the damage and fantastic. Yeah. But uh, if you then you know, form the opinion as, as some have that uh, possession football is dead, well, everyone's just going to be booting the ball long to get rid of the football. Uh, so <laughs> not everyone can play on the break all the time. That was, uh, Ed, let's just face it. That was a passive aggressive slam on the man you love to debate with on, on social media. Manchester United hero and legend, uh, excellent tactical analyst and oddly specifically xenophobic cultural commentator Gary Neville. Yeah, I oh, know. Look, I love Gaz, uh, and uh, he's a United hero, and I really do like his punditry. We've we've talked uh, a lot about it on this show, haven't we? We gave him loads of praise when he first started working for Sky, and I think his analysis of games is excellent. I don't agree with his particular wider point on this one. You know, I think he was trying to be a bit clever on on Twitter about this somehow being a pattern. You know, as soon as he said that, he said uh, Barcelona nil, Bayern 7, Bayern nil, Real Madrid 4. There's a pattern here. Well, there isn't a pattern. Can't tell you what the pattern is, is it? That football played on the break beats possession football. Well, that's not always true because I remember two Champions League finals where United set up to play on the break and got absolutely smashed by Barcelona. So uh, in the end, it does come down to the details. Bayern defended really, really poorly uh, against Real Madrid. Uh, on Tuesday night, uh, a side that was, as you say, set up to play them. Yeah, absolutely. Gary's also said that he thinks, well, first of all, he said he thought United should have a British manager, which seemed to be code for Ryan Giggs. And then he just said United should appoint Ryan Giggs. So 
can we do a little bit of a case for and against the appointment of Ryan Giggs as permanent manager at Manchester United? Yeah, that's fair enough. One, one little bit before that, he's going on about, and he said this before about quotas, and he had another side point when he was saying about the core of a team has to be from that country. He didn't like that I suggested the Milan 88, 89, 90 side was Dutch. <laughs> yeah, Marcotti, Marcotti made a particularly good point in response to that i thought Ed. very good point but of course you know the uh the it was pre-bosman and there was a uh, three foreigners role so uh, i wonder whether that milan side would have been 11 dutchmen if they could have done it <laughs> <laughs> any anyway um that was some good banter on social media the, the wider point he made about british managers was just a bit dumb because of course united have had a, a non-british manager before uh, maybe forgot that frank o'farrell was a very proud irishman from cork the same city as Roy Keane. Yeah, I mean, you know, some people are patriotic and that's all right. I'm not a big fan of patriotism. I think that generally speaking, patriotism is quite a limiting position. It defines itself in opposition to the other inherently. To have national pride is a really weird thing if you think about it. It's like, oh, I'm from this place, therefore I'm proud of it. And you could be proud of where you're from, but to assign greater meaning to that is a, a weird line. Anyway... So I think Gary Neville would self-identify as a patriotic man. The, the problem with it is it walks a line because you, you joked in the intro about British jobs for British managers and we're, we're living in a world where you can't walk down the street in the UK at the moment without seeing uh, foreigners are coming over here to take your jobs lie advert from UKIP, ironically featuring an Irish immigrant actor. <laughs> but anyway, the horrible subtext it's just a really bad time to be talking about british jobs for british people and why on earth should manchester united prioritize britishness as a quality in their manager they don't do it in their playing staff they don't do it in their fan base they don't if it's going to be british why shouldn't it be mancunian you know what i mean what where do you where do you draw the line why is that in any way an important qualification for a United manager. Mm. Well, it's not, yeah. And the playing staff is is not mostly British, actually. I, top of my head, I can't... It's probably about half and half, actually, isn't it? Uh, and um, most likely, United will be recruiting heavily from abroad this summer. The owner's, of course, American. Most of the investors are American. The club is registered in the Cayman Islands. Uh, so it's a English club because... It's based in England. There's there is a group of English players there. We attempt to get players through the youth system that are English. Although of course there are a number of overseas players, of course, in the uh, academy and the reserve side too, because it's a global game. That's what globalization does for you: global ownership, global playing staff, global managerial staff too. Uh, and if Van Hal comes in, mostly a bunch of global coaches likely to come in with him as well. You know which. Uh, which might be a, a part of Gary Neville's problem too, because his brother might be out of a job and Ryan Giggs might be pushed down into the youth team and uh, there's no guarantee that Nicky Butt will have a role or Paul Scholes either. And that would be a real shame because I tell you what, this whole season was basically worth it for the five minutes when we did Giggsy give us a wave, Scholesy give us a wave, Nicky give us a wave, Neville give us a wave. The Neville one took a little while to get going because people still have a bit of Evertonian association with him, but it got going after a while. And that was just a, you know, a glorious moment. And, and seeing those boys running Man United was just absolutely lovely. And there's no question for me that 
blinded by sentiment as I might be, and, and I am, even though my head goes, well, yeah, it's a huge gamble, there's no doubt that I would love to see what would happen if we go down that road. And I don't mean if I was in charge, that's the decision I'd make. All I mean is, like, the big pro in the Giggsy column is it's just insanely romantic. Yeah, it it is, and that's the big pro. Look, you said let's do some pros and cons, so let's do that. And one more point I want to make before before we get onto that. I think whoever comes in, and, and I am in favour of an experienced man coming in because of the kind of transformation exercise that needs to be done, I, I think that's a bit hard for a rookie, even if Giggs is tactically brilliant. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a rookie do that. Uh, Guardiola certainly didn't need to do that. So uh, the one thing that must happen is that there has to be a role found for Giggs and for Button Skulls and Neville. And that that's not just romanticism. That's not being sentimental about United's players of old. That's forming that solid link between the current playing staff and the new manager and his coaching staff. That didn't happen under Moyes. This was a big problem there was an Evertonization of the club, uh, the Everton mob or Everton, as the players like to call some of the coaches. You know, it, it really created two camps. Giggs was very, very smart. You know, he was very political in this. He uh, lined up his allies. Uh, he distanced himself from Moyes and he struck uh, and he won uh, in in a political game. And of course, there's wider stuff going on, but he did win. And we wouldn't want those kind of politics to drive a wedge between the players and the new coaching staff, even if he's a much, much better manager than David Boyd. So that's a concern. I think keeping them on is logically very, very sound uh, and uh, it'll create a nice balance between the playing squad and the new guy. Pros for Giggs coming in is all sentimental. Uh, some of it's around the respect he has in the wider European footballing world and definitely in the Manchester United playing squad, and that's a massive pro too. He may well be a draw for players just because of who he is. I mean, whenever Giggs plays abroad, he gets a round of applause. You know, he's hugely respected, uh, and uh, at least for his footballing abilities. Maybe not so much off the pitch. You know, that's a different matter altogether. Uh, and so that's another big pro. The negatives, he's never bought a player in his life. Can he create a heavy transfer strategy and manage that this summer? Uh, you know, even if it is in consultation with United's also naive executive, he's never had to construct a side. We don't know anything about his tactics. He, he apparently is great in the dressing room, but we've never seen him under real pressure. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of pressure on him on on Saturday. So there's there's loads and loads and loads of unknowns. Maybe he's the next Fergie or the next Guardiola. Maybe he's not. And that sounds like too much of a risk to me. And this is the thing. I mean, if you were going to do this, do this last time round, you know. Following Moyes, the last thing we need is a big risk, right? Because Moyes was such a risk. And it is that football manager pendulum, isn't it? You swing from one extreme to the other. You're going to get someone who is qualified at the very top of the European game. And I suspected Van Gaal had said, yep, that's fine. I'll bring one or two people and just, you know, and then make the United staff my own he'd already have the job by now because um, all the talk is and in fact to be honest by the time you hear this he might have the job you know it's not impossible is it because it's it has been talked about that it's it might even be this week and so the talk at the moment is that he would want to bring in a, a very large number of his own coaches I have to say unlike Moyes it's coaches that have succeeded at the very top level 
So it isn't quite the same situation, is it? You're not you're not necessarily losing quality. You're just adapting the culture. And I, I would recommend that folks listen to last week's Can They Score podcast, um, where they did a really good in depth analysis of Van Hal's career and and how he he is a philosophy coach. He's a coach who believes in a certain way of football and he tends to leave that that way of football at the club after he leaves. And that actually their, their thesis was that if we get Van Gaal, that's probably 10 years of us being sorted. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so so look, on, on the coaching piece, he worked with Danny Blind and Patrick Cliver, you know, obviously two outstanding players who are building good coaching careers for themselves. If Blind and Cliver come with Van Gaal, I think there's a lot of bonus in that they're they're two extremely experienced players played at top level the players will respect them and have to in that if they can find a role for the 1992 guys I mean but already had a role with the reserve team can they find a role with skulls with the other 18s Neville can continue putting out the cones uh, and uh, it would be nice to see Ryan Giggs in a senior coaching position ideally it would be the assistant manager role uh, just to create that link, I think, with the rest of the players. And that would be a nice balance, wouldn't it? And it would make sure that we didn't have a split in the camp, you know, especially if Van Hull is looking to bring in his own players. I'm I'm not sure that he's looking to bring in you know, four or five Dutch players, as he did with Barcelona in the early 2000s, and uh, they complained about the Hollandization of Barcelona. I mean, the problem with having Giggs as assistant manager is, to quote the West Wing, that's a lot of heat at the bottom of the ticket. And given that Giggs is this phenomenally popular figure and he just received the the most kind of adulation and such a hero's welcome leading the team out that be kind of difficult to make that guy your assistant if you want any kind of certainty that you're in charge but Van Gaal knows his way around politics in a football club and he's also no stranger to resting control is he I got a question about something that's been talked about a lot and that is people often say get Van Gaal in for three years get gigs a senior position and he'll watch he'll watch and learn and he'll be ready in three years time to take over the job and I think well, he's been watching and learning for 25 years under Alex Ferguson. What would that three years do? Yes, I mean, that is a good question. So there's a question of, of whether you need some leadership as well. So maybe his career would be better if he went elsewhere. I also don't think he'd be better if he went elsewhere down the leagues because I'm not sure that what League One or the Championship has to do with the Premier League at all. I mean, he's not going to learn anything there. So the things that he doesn't have a how to construct a side, how to deal with life under pressure, how to think about buying players at the very top. I mean, you know, he didn't even know how to do a press conference. He admitted it himself leading some of this. So he would have to learn very quickly. And and there may be a lot of heat at the bottom of the ticket. There's no heat at the very, very top in the, in the, uh, the boardroom, is there? There are no football people there. It's not a surprise that Gill and Ferguson have been worked hard uh, in the build-up to the summer transfer window because United need that badly. Uh, Woodward is clearly brilliant at putting together commercial deals. Talk today that he's pulled off a massive coup with Adidas and they'll be United's next kit manufacturers in a deal that's twice as big as anything else on the planet. He seems to do this all the time. Failed conspicuously, didn't he, trying to negotiate in the transfer market last summer. So there's a big gap there. And, and Giggs would just, I think, add to that naive approach 
or potentially could add to that naive approach because he's not experienced in it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's all the cons, isn't it? All the cons are lack of experience and it's it's a real unknown. And I have to say one of the pros is definitely media handling. You mentioned uh, him not knowing how to do a press conference. But it was the MUTV interview, which was the first interview before the press conference on a Friday morning, I think up until the Norwich game, that was the 10 minutes I've enjoyed most this season out of the whole of watching football. You know, never mind beating Leverkusen 5-0, a manager being positive about Manchester United for 10 minutes. It was just a revelation. And, and you know, it made me really lose a lot of sympathy for Moyes because it's so basic. It's just not rocket science. It wasn't, we'll try and make a difference, blah, blah, blah. It was, we're Manchester United, we'll play the Manchester United way. My philosophy is attacking football. It's the Manchester United philosophy. And, you know, some of the talk about the United way is overblown, especially the last five years, or sort of ten years, really, of Ferguson's time. But actually, it's not that overblown. Because really, even when Fergie played very defensively there was a feeling he was going against the United way right well yes yes and uh, he said all the right things uh, Giggs uh, most definitely and he felt comfortable in front of the camera there have been times when I've seen him uh, looking like he was giving it a thousand yard stare and not being very clear with his messages and and uh, that wasn't the case I thought he projected a sense of gravitas and his media interviews and it is an important thing it is because it sets the tone and Moyes set a negative tone every single week and then he concluded the week with a negative tone too and Giggs didn't do that and that was a massive positive as a result so look I don't think he's going to be given the job but I will be hugely disappointed if and when Van Gaal is appointed you know it's it's probably when isn't it unless there really is a deal breaker in in the role for gigs and the rest but i don't think there is but i'll be disappointed if they don't get significant role and and as i said before uh, risk of repeating myself i don't think it's just a sentimental shame i think you know would be missing something important yeah if they didn't do that i agree and actually even I would even argue that actually sentiment is extremely important because what is the point of football? I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this season, like real fans and glory hunters and, oh, as soon as things go wrong, you know, you turn your back on the manager or whatever. And we're seventh in the league playing a completely meaningless fixture. I enjoyed it as much as anything I've ever enjoyed in my life because of the beautiful sentiment of it all, you know? because of the sense that we got our United back. And it isn't about winning, although that is a nice thing. It It's about something much bigger than that. And it's about something much more emotional than that. And seeing those boys, you know, in fact, they even call them boys. Like Some of them are older than me, you know. But those those lads, you know, our lot running the show was just an absolutely brilliant feeling and 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 what is the point of football if it's not about brilliant feelings you know well yes it's also about winning uh, and i think that's the, <laughs> the one of the big concerns as well with Moyes. so uh, anyway uh, talking of winning uh, united have a couple of games coming up in the, the next week and uh, gigs can add to his uh, one match winning run in yeah. games against Sunderland and then Hull City both at Old Trafford and in fact you'd expect united to win both i know Sunderland have been on a uh, a good run, but uh, the good feelings surrounding United should be enough, shouldn't it? I mean, maybe, but Sunderland have just done something ridiculous in the last 
three weeks or whatever it is. They drew City, they beat Chelsea, teams that really needed to get a result against them. So I don't know. I, I think Sunderland should probably fear. I mean, Sunderland, Norwich were gutted that David Moyes wasn't there. Sunderland should be really, really gutted that Moyes isn't there. Because I think, I think I probably would be predicting a Sunderland win at this point under Moyes. But no, I, I think you know, in spite of their turnaround, you would think that the freedom that United are playing with is going to be their biggest asset, especially if Van Persie comes back. You know, you'd, you'd think that maybe some of the younger players will get will get a game um, and he won't go for that kind of super experience back four. Oh, I was quite pleased with my prediction that well, one thing I was certain about about Ryan Giggs is that he wouldn't play Chris Smalling at right back and he, he picked uh, Phil Jones in that position. Um, be interesting to see if he changes that this weekend. Uh but yeah, and, and there's two games in really quick succession as well. So there's a bit of a rotation challenge for, for gigs because uh, the, the weekend and then Tuesday night against Hull. Hull got a lot less to play for than Sunderland, haven't they? They have and they've got the FA Cup coming up and uh, it's easy to lose focus on the league. They're safe. They've been very good defensively this season. Uh, they've swapped around defensive formations, played three at the back a lot. I laughed about uh, not too many teams doing that. Hull is one that has... Done that, Steve Bruce, tactical innovator. Who'd have thunk it? But uh, they got sadly beaten by Arsenal the other week. Uh, they are not as good uh, away from Hull as they are at Hull. Uh, and so I'd expect United to turn them over. Uh, Sunderland, interesting because uh, they've been playing this 4-3-3 system that's worked very well for them. Wickham's been scoring goals, hasn't he? he went three years without any goals and then five all came at once. And then playing Barini and Johnson wide of him and and it seems to be a system that's working for Sunderland I'd expect United to be able to get at them though it, it's still a, a back four that's uh, been kind of patched together Alonso and Virginie in, in those fullback areas and then Agents Brown and O'Shea are bound to give us at least one own goal Yeah there's an awful lot of hashtag narrative in these next two games you've got Brown and O'Shea in that Sunderland game and then Steve Bruce looking after his old mate Giggsy you know he's not going to be trying too hard. He was always he was always guaranteed six points against Fergie, wasn't he? And I reckon uh, I reckon Giggs will uh, Giggs will carry that on. You have to say about Giggs, like he really looked really really managerial, and that might just be the beard and the suit, but he really carried himself like a manager. That there was a great assurance to it, and and you know he he does have the confidence of being not just a champion, but sort of mega champion, you know, a a repeated time and time again champion. Mm. Yeah, he does. And, and, and that's, uh, as you say, would give him a lot of heat at the bottom of the ticket. I mean, much in the way that Zidane is with Angelotti, I suppose. And I do think it gives him a lot of confidence being around Manchester. It's the only thing he's ever understood. And the thing we said about David Moyes is he didn't get Manchester United. Well, uh, there's nobody who gets Manchester United more than Ryan Giggs. He's been there since he was 12. Uh, and he, yeah, he looked managerial. He looked uh, a man in command of all his faculties. Uh, he said he, he hadn't stabbed David Moyes in the back. He, he'd treated him like a brother. <laughs> That's, he did not actually say that. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, so I, I, we've had so many Twitter questions this week and we've run out of time to do them. I have to say we've covered an awful lot of them in the course of the show and hopefully hopefully people will be pleased about that. Um, 
we'll just do one to finish uh, at AB5Y one of my very favourite Twitter people uh, asks what's your favourite Bebe goal? Uh, I think it's the one from in the reserves when you hit it on the volley from about 30 yards uh, I mean mine is definitely the one away on loan this season the, the the flick over his head with a back heel a kind of jumping back heel and then a volley into the top right hand corner he scored some absolute blinders he scored one from about 40 yards as well which is a Ronaldo-esque pile driver he's definitely got something I mean it's not you know the quality to be a Manchester United player obviously mm. but he's... I think he's like Happy Gilmore you know he takes a swing and something amazing comes off but there's nothing correct about anything he does <laughs> all right so uh predictions for Sunderland and Hull then Ed yeah I, I think United are gonna smash them both you know, I, 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 for years and years and years on this show and, and on the website, I predicted a United win every single week. I was like Mark Lawrenson doing the predictions. <laughs> uh, you know, Liverpool ended, ended the season on about 150 points uh, under Lawrenson. But um, for years and years, I was predicting a win every week. And then Moyes sucked all of that out of me. And I started predicting losses. Um, but I can't do it anymore. So I think United are going to smash Sunderland. So I'm going for another 4-0. Um, I think it'd be a bit tight against Hull because uh, they they're a bit you know a bit more compact. So I'm going to go for a two-one victory against Hull. All right, I'm going the other way round because I think Sunderland have got a lot more to play for. Um, so I think mm, we're going to probably like let's go three-one for a bonus a bonus goal for the Giggsy factor, uh, and then uh, yeah, I'll go three-nil against Hull. So three-one and three-nil. But the Sunderland game, I think, is going to be a bit more nervy than the, the Norwich game, Watson. All right, well, I, I think you know, you're going to get revenge because that's what it's about for knocking us out of the Carling Cup. And also for doing a massive Poznan when we lost the league. A lot of United fans definitely, definitely want to see Sunderland relegated. There's no... I, I, would, I would join them on that one. I, uh, I feel no sympathy for them whatsoever. They're managed by Gus Poyet, which is really unfortunate, but I cannot find it in my heart to wish relegation upon Sir Wesley Brown. That that is just that feels like a really unacceptable crossing of some sort of line. Yeah, it's a it's a dichotomy, alright. We're going through all, all our words of the week this week. <laughs> Shout out to at Fino76 for that one. Um so we will see you again next week. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us in the meantime, you can get me at UTD Rantcast and Ed at United Rant on Twitter. Get us both, or more accurately, neither of us at Facebook.com slash United Rant. Leave a comment on the show page at UnitedRant.co.uk. I always read all of those. And if you want to help us out with bandwidth costs, etc., that's UnitedRant.co.uk slash donate. And thank you so much to everyone that's done that thanks to everyone who's hopped on board at the end of the season uh, loads of loads of new listeners tuned in to hear the glorious joyous uh david moyes exit i also think lots of people that haven't been able to listen to the show because it's been so miserable all season we're uh, we're back on board so uh, so nice to have you back you're, you're more than welcome um it'd be really helpful for us uh, if you could leave a review on itunes and um, thank you again for everyone that's done that already very good uh, and we'll see you next week at two victories for united uh, we're back on top uh, if only the season was another couple of months longer, we'd be chasing the Premier League title. No doubt about it. Ryan Giggs is ready to army. Ryan Giggs is ready to army. Ryan Giggs is ready to army. <laughs>